this podcast, including any related materials, such as show notes, links, and supportive materials, is provided by Metagenics Institute, the educational arm of Metagenics, Inc., for general informational and educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute medical advice and should not be considered a substitute for discussions between individuals and their healthcare providers. The podcast presenters' views are entirely their own and do not represent the views of Metagenics Institute, Metagenics, or any of their research partners and collaborators, collectively referred to as affiliates. Metagenics Institute and its affiliates do not endorse or recommend any specific healthcare providers, products, or other items or services that may be discussed or mentioned in this podcast. Podcast participants may receive compensation from Metagenics Institute and or its affiliates. Metagenics products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There is a staple of personalized lifestyle medicine that has shocked my colleagues, my patients, and me in how substantially it reduces symptoms for so many conditions. The simple solution is the elimination diet. On this episode of The Practice, Dr. Deanna Minnick shares implementation strategies for inspiring compliance with an elimination or metabolic detoxification diet. These diets are the key to unlocking treasure troves of unique data about the individuals willing to stick to the protocols. It's my first line of approach with somebody, especially when you have multiple things that you could be doing. I feel like the elimination diet cuts through all of them and really creates a baseline. It's like a new baseline. It's like that reset that you need in order to get people thinking differently, living differently, and really feeling differently in their bodies. Testing for food sensitivities may be expensive and challenging. Results can be misleading, especially with so many people's results indicating sensitivities that might have more to do with increased intestinal permeability known as leaky gut. After all, the body will create antibodies for any substance that is leaking through the gut wall. A reliable alternative is to have the patient experience their reaction to foods as they are reintroduced after a 28-day elimination diet. The elimination diet gives specific experiential evidence that can motivate people to make changes. As with most protocols, the challenge is compliance. Join us as Dr. Deanna Minnick provides the three key principles to share with your patients before starting them on an elimination diet. Dr. Deanna Minnick, I'm so excited to have you with me today. I'm excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So we're going to talk today about the elimination diet and also the detox food plan. You've just published five amazing case studies on this process that you went through with the elimination diet. And so I want to start first with just explaining what do you mean by the elimination diet? It's been around for a long time, Yeah. but you had a particular protocol that you followed. I'm so glad that you asked me about the elimination diet because, like you said, it's been around forever. It feels Mm -hmm. like forever. I mean, there are other scientific publications, not just mine, that do focus on the elimination diet and all the things that it can do for people. So in these cases, we used a standard protocol set forth by the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is eliminating a number of different things. You know, many of the top offenders, allergens, the top eight allergens that are well-recognized. And then we look at... Can you just run through what those are? Some of those allergens? Sure. Corn, soy, wheat, eggs, dairy, 
shellfish, those are some of the top ones that we focus on. And, and of course, peanuts, legumes of various types. Uh, in some elimination diets, they take off some more of the nuts, and in others, they don't. What I also think about as I have a patient go on the elimination diet is what are the foods that they're eating a lot of? Because so many people don't have good, healthy in, intestinal function, right? Mm-hmm. And so that insult to injury, what are they seeing over and over again? What might be causing some of their symptoms? So in some cases, we can take the elimination diet and couple that with low histamine containing foods. So some people might be responding to high histamines in foods, not just the histamines in their body. So strawberries, spinach, some of the things that we would think of as good, healthy foods, but maybe not so good for certain people. This is so important because I see this a lot in my patients who You know, maybe they're making a green smoothie for breakfast every day. They're putting the spinach in and the kale, and they think that they're being so virtuous. And it turns out they have intestinal permeability. They're having reactions like histamine to the constituents, the healthy constituents they have in their smoothie. So could you speak to that a little bit more? Because I'm always looking for, in my practice, what's surprising. Yeah. And once Mm -hmm. you start looking for increased intestinal permeability, you see it so often. It's true, yeah. And one of the things that goes along with the elimination diet is something called rotation. And so three to four day rotations of foods, because most people get on food jags. So we get into this rut where we have oatmeal for breakfast every day of our lives and we think it's a good thing. And then we find out that our body doesn't do well with grains and we have all kinds of gut issues. And so one of the principles I do bring in is that of variety. So every three to four days, changing up that food, changing up the colors of food even, and rotating through those colors. Love it. Yeah. Good. So let's dive into some of the data that you published with your cases. Um, Which one's your favorite? Like, which one do you think is the most important, especially in terms of talking to practitioners that maybe have one foot in the functional medicine world or personalized Mm -hmm. lifestyle medicine world and one foot in the more traditional, conventional medical world. Yes. Uh, And by the way, these five cases that were published in the Alternative and Complementary Therapies Journal, um, they were also with other people. So I'm a co-author, and I want to give credit to all of these wonderful people that actually did a lot of the work. One of them does come to mind. Uh, It it was a woman, um, 35 years old, who presented with a number of different symptoms. So she had everything from brain fog, she couldn't concentrate, she had gastrointestinal disturbances, she had hormonal issues. At the time, she had endometriosis. So she was diagnosed with a number of different classical health conditions that I would say in the, within the functional medicine model all kind of seem to go together. So whenever I think gastrointestinal, I do think reproductive tract as well, like what else is going on? So in her case, what made it interesting and profound was It was probably the most challenging one, not because of her symptoms, but because of her situation. Part of the year, she's a ski instructor. The other part of the year, she's working in a deli in a national park area. And so she's torn between both places. And when you're up in the mountains or at a ski resort, you don't really have access to a lot of different foods. Or if you do, they're very selective, very expensive. So how is she going to make this work? And I remember that first week that she ran into this, and she had so much motivation. She Mm -hmm. wanted to do this. She wanted to get better. And she was willing to do whatever she could. But she did have these practical challenges. So after This is so good because I feel like whether you live in the mountains or not, we all have those patients who are challenged Mm -hmm. by trying to do something like this, like the elimination diet. 
Well, another thing to add to this whole picture was um, she, living in California, was exposed to all these wildfires at the time oh, that yes. they were going on. So the air quality was Then the poor. air quality was poor, and then she was having all these breathing issues, and now she's developing more of an asthmatic type of condition. So not only can she not get access to the food because it's just not available, but now she can't even go outside because now she's going to be confronted with air particulates. So it really compounded the situation. So the, the first weekend, it was difficult. And I think it's good to acknowledge where we have patients with their difficulties, right? Yeah, and totally. really be there for that first week of starting that elimination diet. And meet them where they are, yes. which is part of what I hear you saying. Being that she was so motivated, it wasn't difficult to help her in the ways that we could. And then the second week, she did much better. Mm-hmm. The, the fires had come down. She kind of got the groove of, okay, I need to eat like this. Um, these are some menus. I'm going into town to get my food. I feel like so much is about preparation. It's about mindset, first of all. You know, if somebody is really motivated, they're going to make this work. Totally. So we just have to give them different strategies. So she had, I believe it was, if I have it correctly from the case study, within that 21-day period that we did the elimination diet, she had a 77% resolution of her symptoms. Wow. Across the 77%, board. including the endometriosis, yeah. which we know is an inflammatory condition. We use the you medical use symptom questionnaire. So, so talk about this for a moment, because I... I you know, I love in all the case studies, you use the MSQ and mm-hmm. you tracked symptoms over time. Every case that I saw, you had a significant reduction. Talk a little bit about what that is. And I, I believe we can actually get it on the IFM website, right? Yes. And I would highly recommend it to any practitioner to have a metric because I don't know how many times you've, you've seen people where they say, well, I, I'm not any different. And then you have them do the questionnaire yes. and it's like, well, wait a minute, you just went down 20 points. So we need to see that in numbers. And then when they see that, they're thinking, oh my gosh, that's true, I did make those changes. It kind of reverts back. So the medical symptom questionnaire looks at different body systems. It'll look at cognitive function, emotional function, gut function, brain function. It's a really nice all systems way to peer into somebody's condition. So it's not diagnostic and it is not looking at a diagnosis. So we weren't able to look at her endometriosis. That was something that her medical doctor was doing. Um, but we could look at her gut function, whether or not, um, you know, she was having more moodiness around her cycle, because she actually did continue on from the elimination diet. We transitioned her into another plan. So we had her for about a good two months. And what was the plan you transitioned her to? To a, uh, the IFM, Institute for Functional Medicine, detox food plan. I have a lot of passion around this plan because I uh, teach that food plan for the Institute and help to cobble that together with the whole team. And essentially the detox food plan is very supportive of liver and gut. Yes. So the elimination diet starts the process. There's a sequence to all of this, right? And so if we can eliminate, take things out, and then we put things that are back in that are very nourishing for the body, nourishing especially for the liver and the gut through the detox food plan, and you can tailor it. You know, all of these plans, even though they look very cookbook and um, very finite on paper, You can always tweak. You know, some people are just not ready for the elimination diet. Mm -hmm. It's too extreme. It's it's extreme. And then they're thinking, oh, my gosh, what do I do with my family? And so then I say, let's pick one thing. Mm -hmm. And one of my nutritionist mentors, uh, Barb Schultz, had told me, she said, Deanna, have the patient say what would be most difficult to give up 
And that's probably the thing that's keeping them in their pathology. Yes. <laughs> and so it's like, I can't give up cheese. I can do everything else, but not the cheese. Well, it's probably the cheese that they really need to give up. So maybe right. you need to kind of lead into the cheese once they get the trust and they have the comfort level. And maybe some momentum. Yeah. They start to see some reduction of their symptoms. They start sleeping better. And then they start thinking, well, maybe there's something to this. And then you go for the heavy hitters, the things that are really difficult, like sugar and you know, that's not an allergen, but it is something that we do try to reduce or eliminate on the elimination diet. And alcohol. You know, I, I always think about, when I talk about elimination diet in my practice, I live in the Bay Area. So we're close to Napa Valley, right? We've got all these amazing wines. And so I often have my patients say to me, oh, I can do all of it, but I'm going to keep drinking my wine every night. Right. <laughs> and we, we give alcohol to animals to induce intestinal hyperpermeability. Yes, and yeah, so it's absolutely. we know that it pokes holes yep. in the gut lining. And I think it's it's such an important part of the elimination diet. I'm so glad that you mentioned alcohol because I feel like there's a mixed message around it. Totally. Right? Yeah. So you hear it, oh the Mediterranean diet. It's so they good drink for you. alcohol. Red Let wine every have... night. Yes. And if you look at the literature, um, I would say it's not always the case. And so much depends on the individual's constitution. But regardless if it's alcohol or coffee, one of the things I like to do is just to get people off of the substances that are primarily changing their behaviors and their moods so that you can actually see how much energy you have. Yeah. Like, how do you really sleep? Let's just get rid of all those stimulants and depressants and see what happens. The addictive substances yes. that tend to rob you of deep sleep and REM sleep. And I always think about with alcohol, there's also the increased risk of breast cancer. There's right. the effect of alcohol yep. on the estrogen pathway. Yeah. Um, we could definitely go down that rabbit hole for a long time and discuss it. But I, I want to come back to the practitioner who is faced with a patient, you know, maybe similar to the one you just described, and is trying to figure out, like, especially within an insurance-based system, how do I start to implement some of these functional medicine concepts? Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like the elimination diet is this three-week commitment it's pretty simple to review. You mm -hmm. could have a handout that has all mm -hmm. of the seven things that you're giving up. It's almost like a gateway tool to practicing more functional medicine. Yeah. So do you think of it that way too? Absolutely. It's my first line of approach with somebody, especially when you have multiple things that you could be doing. I feel like the elimination diet cuts through all of them and really creates a baseline. It's like a new baseline. It's like that reset that you need in order to get people thinking differently, living differently, and really feeling differently in their bodies. One of the things that I find, too, is that it creates a, a better state of body awareness. Even within that first 7 to 10 days, they have a better sense of, oh, my mood, my sleep. Oh, I do get a stomachache. How come I haven't noticed that I had a stomachache before whenever I ate uh, you know, these vegetables or these, this food, whatever it was? By day 21 of being on the elimination diet, they are very hyper aware in a good way about their bodies. And so as a newcomer into functional medicine or integrative medicine, number one to what you said, meeting the patient where they're at, how far are they willing to go? Because if they're willing to do the whole program, much like this 35 year old woman where she said, I'll just do anything. You know, I really wanna get rid of these symptoms. And she's so young to be having that whole panoply of different things going on for yeah, her. Yeah, brain fog at 35 is not a good yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, and she's very active. You know, she had a lot of things going for her. You know, it's not that she was just 
sedentary and, you know, had a day job. She's and, a ski instructor. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, she, she has incredible. an active life. So I want to connect a couple of dots here sure. because I can tell you, as someone who went through the allopathic traditional training as an obstetrician gynecologist, I was taught that endometriosis is retrograde menstruation, that there's an inflammatory process that's occurring with ectopic endometrial tissue. I was never taught about the connection to the gut. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure that we're tying those two things together because this woman has kind of a complex story, but she had brain fog. And brain fog makes me think immediately of the gut-brain axis. Yes. And so I love that, you know, as you said, elimination diet is sort of this great leveler. Yeah. And what I found is that almost regardless of the symptoms that a patient has when they present to me, elimination diet reduces those symptoms. You know, they may come to me and say, I'm perimenopausal, I hate my husband, I want to go on hormone therapy. And so we do some testing, but often I'll start an elimination diet just in Mm -hmm. that first visit. Yes. And it makes such a difference in terms of the HPA axis and, you know, just sort of all these regulatory systems that are involved in inflammation. You said so many things there. I'll just dive into one of them that you said, which is such a great point. When we do the elimination diet, when we actually experience it, and I would encourage all of you, even before trying it out with your patients, to actually do it yourself. Yes, please. Because then you can see the challenges. You can see how your body changes. You can see your thought process. What triggered me to think about this was when you said about somebody's husband or their job or all of a sudden you start coming clear and clean on so many things because perhaps that brain fog starts to clear. You start to feel more energized. You start to feel like more of yourself. Yes. And then you're thinking, why did I make all these choices maybe and that really got me down the path of thinking more holistically more open-mindedly around the elimination diet and doing other types of modalities in conjunction with it because I started to see this happening and I wasn't well equipped yes so that may happen where a patient goes down that path just of three weeks where they're changing their food but they're going to change their lives it changes their lives and it changes you talked earlier about what I would call interoception you know, kind of that sense of the conversation with the body, which I think we're trained out of. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're not trained to be so attuned to what's going on in our gut or what's going on. Do I have brain fog? How's my memory? Mm -hmm. So developing that interoception, I think, is so important on an elimination diet. And as you said, I think there's a state of mind that comes from going through an elimination diet and then certainly the detox plan afterwards that can provide that kind of clarity and maybe Mm -hmm. almost like taking off the veil of um, maybe speaking your truth for the first time in many years. And so I love watching that process unfold and you know, trying to kind of hold space for it and shepherd it for our patients. Yes, and to know that that could happen and to have a support system built in for that. Yes. One of the things I like to do a lot is doing more groups. Yes. Because if you have a group going through the elimination diet, they all support each other. Oh, I've fallen off the track. I had something I wasn't supposed to. Don't worry. Here's a recipe. Let's get you back on. It's almost like the group supports the energy of that group. And there's just that synergy that happens. And well, there's so, a social genomic yes. process that's occurring. I mean, it's and it's amazing to witness it. I'm sure you've seen this over and over again where they start sharing recipes and, you know, they get ideas about how to eat the rainbow and make it reasonable. They get ideas about, okay, my my daughter's having truffle fries at a restaurant. How mm-hmm. do I avoid eating the truffle fries with the sugary this and that? And so 
you're able to have this much bigger picture, I yes. think, of how to cope with the challenges that come up with elimination. Well, especially diet. the family challenges, what you just mentioned. I mean, how many times where somebody is doing the elimination diet solo in their home, mm -hmm. and then they have to make separate meals and separate groceries. And so having the group is very supportive for like, oh, this is my tribe. This is where I can talk about the elimination diet, and I don't have to worry so much about what I'm hearing at home. I feel like that's one of the bigger issues. It is. The troubleshooting with the home environment. With the home environment. And for a while, I was asking uh, women to come in with their partners or spouses so that they could both hear the same message because it felt very fragmented. Um, she would get home and then it was like she would actually crash and not be able to have the same momentum in starting the program because she didn't have quite that same emotional support. So that's why... You know, three things before people start an elimination diet that I think are really important. First is the mindset. It's all about the mind. If you don't get the mind on track, you know, the, the body can't follow. It'll yes. just be, it'll fall flat. Um, the second thing is home. And it's not just uh, the relationships at home, but really clearing the home space. Because I know for me, if I have chocolate in the house or certain things that I shouldn't be eating, it's better not to have them there. Yes. And I call that clearing the decks. It has <laughs> to be cleared. It does. Clear the decks, clear the fridge, and clear it feels the pantry. It's so good to do it that. Does. You lose weight just doing it. <laughs> <laughs> For various reasons, yeah. <laughs> so you clear, even if you feel overwhelmed, it's like the refrigerator. Clear out the refrigerator. Take a picture before and after, bring it to your support group, and show them the difference. It's Post like it on a, social media. Yes, yeah. a refrigerator makeover. So there's that. That's number two, home. And then number three, the social support. In whatever order you think that that's important. So again, I always ask people before they start a program, what is your motivation level on a scale of one to 10? And I remember somebody telling me once, um, he was a musician, he was in his uh, 40s, and he was pre-diabetic, really heading towards diabetes. And I said, so tell me on a scale of one to 10, how motivated are you to do this elimination diet? And he's like, seven. And then I wanted to explore, well, what's a 10? His music. Uh, so then I was yeah. like, okay, I need to anchor in my discussion about this elimination diet with his love of music and somehow talk about how he can't be the nighttime musician on the weekends if he doesn't have his health. That is beautiful. How's he going to do that? Yeah. Right? You contextualized it for him. Yeah. And I, I want to also say, you know, for the practitioners who are new to the elimination diet, I think you know this already, but Deanna is a very advanced practitioner, right? She's, you're famous for your work with nutrigenomics. You developed many of these food plans. You led the whole process with IFM with, with this particular lots elimination of diet. Of mm -hmm. Lots of teams of people. Um, and I, I just want to also say, I used to prescribe the elimination diet when I was working within an insurance-based system. I had 20 minutes with patients at yeah. most twice a year. And I was so surprised at how just an elimination diet could make such a difference in terms of my patient's symptoms. Another thing I love about these five case studies you've published, and we'll give you links so that you can see them as well as some of the mm -hmm. older data um, on elimination diet and why it's been validated. My why is that I want to transform our broken healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the way that we do it is with these small methodical steps of adding to the evidence base, convincing more and more mainstream physicians that there's good science behind mm -hmm. some of these strategies. We know that 70% of healthcare costs are lifestyle related and therefore preventable with things like the elimination diet. So tell us a bit about how you see that evidence base. How do these five case studies add to it? 
um, we talked about the 35-year-old with the brain fog and the endometriosis, but you also have a 57-year-old with um, elevated ALT. Mm -hmm. You also mm -hmm. have, I think, a 40-something-year-old with chronic eight-year history of pain of the shoulder and knees. Yeah. You know, I, I just want to make sure that for the orthopedic surgeons, there's a value here. For the people who are practicing internal medicine, there's value here. Mm -hmm. So how do we add to this evidence base? What do these case studies provide for us? Sure. Uh, well, first and foremost, I mean, I share with you that same mission. Uh, I do think that if we can empower all of you as practitioners to see food as medicine, and there's evidence galore on that. I mean, you go to PubMed and you start looking at all the research on dietary patterns and chronic disease. I mean, I don't think we can arm wrestle that at all. I mean, it's pretty clear that there's a connection. When we're looking at the elimination diet specifically, we are looking at what are the allergens? What are the things that we can take out of the diet in order to create more healing for that patient? And that might look like better gut function. It might look like less shoulder pain. It might look like less brain fog. It might be clearer skin. Whatever it is, I have seen across the board a reduction of 50 to 70% of that yes, symptomatic absolutely. noise. So 50 to 70%. You know, pharmaceuticals, Mm -hmm. Can't touch that. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is so amazing here because, you know, I was taught you have anxiety, you prescribe a benzodiazepine. Now we prescribe, you know, the latest SNRI. You have depression, you prescribe the SSRI or SNRI. And yet food is such a needle mover. 50 to 70% reduction of symptoms. Well, and I think people not only want to be healthier, they want to be happier. I really do believe this, um, and perhaps that's a sense of purpose and meaning. And one of the things that I see in the research, this is just kind of clustering now, is the relationship between food and mood. Yes. So, and even simple things like people eating more fruits and vegetables, um, having less psychological distress. And these are large studies. These are like 60,000 Australian adults. These are like larger studies really showing the evidence for food and mood. And so what's going to happen on the elimination diet is people start to get cleaned up and they get rid of that noise. Yes. And they start feeling better. Then they're going to be much more compliant with changes, with different behaviors, because they're just going to feel good. Back in 2014, we did uh, 3,000 people on the elimination diet with the Institute for Functional Medicine, and we collected data on 700 of them. We just simply did the medical symptom questionnaire before and after. The number one symptom that rose to the top, if we look at all those different systems on the medical symptom questionnaire, was emotional health. Yes. And I had Huge. never thought that that would ever be the case. I thought, oh, probably gut health or joint pain or brain fog. But if you can get at somebody's emotional health, then you've got them because that's going to get them feeling better and then they will be much more compliant and sustainable with that plan. You're gonna feel good for helping them. I mean, it's like a win-win. It's really. such a virtuous cycle. And I, I wanna contextualize the food-mood connection because I, I think this is such an important piece. We know that food is the number one driver of microbiome mm -hmm. function. We know that stress is probably the second most important driver. And, and maybe we can cite some of those papers that you talked about, like from Australia. Sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think when it comes to anxiety, depression, burnout, um, you know, just feeling irritable, we often don't think about the gut-brain axis. Mm -hmm. And yet food can hugely change the function of the gut-brain axis. It can. So I just want to connect that to mm -hmm. the root cause, which is often um, how the gut is talking to the brain. It's a bi-directional relationship. 
It is bi-directional, absolutely. And um, so many people are devoid of nutrients. So yes, the gut microbiome is helping to metabolize things. Most people don't have a functional gut microbiome. They have dysbiosis, which means that they have more bacteria that are unserving, right? They're kind of they're creating molecules that are inflammatory in the gut and causing issues. And so by feeding good, healthy food, we start to change that milieu. And we start to change the gut microbiome, which will change mood and memory and immune function, neurological function. I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, we do need to get our patients to be nutritionally replete because one of the things that buffers us from all the toxicants in the environment is nutrients, minerals, um, carotenoids, phytonutrients, having good healthy levels of protein. People are on all these like high protein diets, which I think is okay, but most people aren't digesting that protein either. Right. Totally true. So as we start to wrap up, any last words about um, how you've added to the evidence base and where we go from here? Well, I'd like to see more of us publishing. Yes. You yes. know, I feel like... Um, and I've asked all of my students who, to, who mentor with me, like these um, nutritionists that were in this program, we had nine nutritionists and 34 different people that they were coaching as part of this, and I was mentoring the, the whole process. And I encouraged them all. I said, we need to publish. You need this for your own credentials, but then also to help the community of science. And even if it's a case study, we may say, oh, but it's just one person. Well, but one person, we can start to see patterns and we can start to see threads. And like you said, these are five case studies of all very different people being helped by the same approach. And it was not necessarily personalized. It was a simple blanket protocol of the elimination diet. And it helped them all. Again, that 50 to 70% reduction in symptoms. So I, I hope that this is adding to the evidence base for functional medicine in the way that it can. And I'd like to see more. I would encourage all of us, even if it's a case study, to feel comfortable with that. Get that word out. It is significant. Um, and even a cluster of case studies. So small steps, but hopefully in a larger direction of, of helping people to see and connect those dots. I love that. Thank you. You know, I, I feel like you and, you and I are also involved in an N of one study. And I was taught when I graduated from Harvard Medical School 25 years ago, that the best evidence was always kind of considered the randomized trial, which is actually very difficult to do in personalized lifestyle medicine because we're mm -hmm. rarely just changing one thing. Often yeah. we're changing, you know, kind of an integrated system. And so I feel like the N of one study is gonna become increasingly important. Mm -hmm. In fact, at Harvard, I was taught that it is equal to a randomized trial. Mm. So I feel like, um, Case studies are an important part of this evidence base. It can demonstrate the sort of um, changes that can occur, 50 to 70% symptom reduction with an elimination diet. So I want to thank you for your mm -hmm. contribution to the literature, and thank you for being with us today, Deanna. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> Thank you for being with us for this episode of The Practice. You'll find extensive show notes, including links and supportive materials over at thepracticepodcast.tv. While you're there, explore other topics and use the Ask and Answer button to ask your burning questions and give your insights about the topic. After all, the future of medicine lies in dialogue, not dogma. Let's transform medicine together by connecting on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find all the links at thepracticepodcast.tv. 
This podcast, including any related materials such as show notes, links, and supportive materials, is provided by Metagenics Institute, the educational arm of Metagenics, Inc., for general informational and educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute medical advice and should not be considered a substitute for discussions between individuals and their healthcare providers. This podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship and should not be considered a substitute for the independent professional judgment of any physician or healthcare professional regarding the appropriate course of action for a particular patient or individual. Metagenics does not make any guarantees regarding the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of this podcast for any particular purpose. Listeners may use this podcast at their own risk and patients should not disregard or delay seeking advice from their healthcare providers based on the content of this podcast. Participation through the ask and answer button is optional and no participant should feel obligated to provide personal details including about any diagnosis, symptoms or other health related information. Neither Metagenics Institute nor any of its affiliates seek this information and it is not necessary to participate in the dialogue regarding this podcast. The podcast presenter's views are entirely their own and do not represent the views of Metagenics Institute, Metagenics, or any of its research partners and collaborators, collectively referred to as affiliates. Metagenics Institute and its affiliates do not endorse or recommend any specific healthcare providers, products, or other items or services that may be discussed or mentioned in this podcast. Podcast participants may receive compensation from Metagenics Institute and or its affiliates. Listening to this podcast does not obligate you to purchase, use, recommend, or prescribe any Metagenics or Metagenics Institute products or services, including their educational materials. Metagenics products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Unless approved by Metagenics Institute, this podcast must be used only for personal, non-commercial purposes. This podcast has no independent economic value and is intended to comply with all applicable laws. It may be rescinded, revoked, or amended at any time without notice. Listeners who are patients should talk to their healthcare providers if they have any questions regarding the content discussed in this podcast. Listeners who are healthcare professionals may obtain more information by visiting metagenicsinstitute.com, calling 888 690-8500 690-8500 or emailing med ed at metagenicsinstitute.com.